and welcome back to Real Clear with Dr. Klein, the crossroads of politics and psychology. If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Welcome back to Real Clear, folks. I'm going to give you an explanation as to where I've been over the past few weeks, describe to you the situation on the ground, and also ask for your feedback if you're willing to provide it. So there's been a battle in my professional organization around woke ideology. I'm a psychoanalyst in addition to being a psychologist. It's a a separate training, five years beyond your doctorate. And you go through a number of things, and then you become a member of the American Psychoanalytic Association. It's a governing body comprised of thousands of analysts, and there's 38 allied and associated institutes that train people like me in every American city. Okay, so what's happened? Well, I've been a rogue analyst for years. I've got no interest in interacting with my professional body. But something happened that required me to step in, and I became, for a period of time, sort of the center of a national discord within the field. Uh, Here's what happened. In 2020, a group of radicals inside of psychoanalysis decided, uh, post-George Floyd, that everything, everywhere, all at once in America was racist, including American psychoanalysis. So they managed to convince the executive body to dedicate a large amount of membership dues to studying the pernicious effects of racism and white supremacy in American psychoanalysis. They began their 400-some-odd-page document by stating that it's, of course, axiomatically true and beyond dispute that these things are undergirding American psychoanalysis. So it was not their attempt to question whether and how, but to simply assume it is and proceed with a paper that is, in my view, just a diatribe against the field and then a power grab. And so what they were not planning on was that, number one, someone who is versed in proper research methodology, me, would, number two, read the whole damn thing, and then, number three, speak out publicly about it on the professional listserv at a time when we're vying to elect a new president in January. But, unfortunately for them, I am impulsive and also am able to think while being impulsive. So I did just that. I read the whole damn report, which they released in August of this year. And at that point, I said, whoa, I have to do something. They are actually retarding real progress. They're taking us further back. They're regressing us. And they're going after power in ways that are vindictive and vicious. And I don't see anything profitable that could come out of this. Certainly not something called progress. So here's what they did. They set up a a survey online. That's it. Any of you listening right now could set up a Qualtrics survey or a SurveyMonkey survey and ask a bunch of people their opinions. And then you could say, whoa, look at that. Their opinions are this. So basically, they asked a bunch of people who self-selected to answer these surveys, and many of whom were not even psychoanalysts, but had an interest in or were psychoanalytically inclined, and who were not actual analysts, to answer a bunch of questions. The biggest issue here 
is selection bias. They did not control for that at all. It's people who felt compelled to interact with the topic matter. And then they answered the survey questions. Well, then they said, yup, some people believe that our ideas are correct. Therefore, we must be correct. That is it. There was even one section of the report where the commission stated that they did not have enough data on the particular issue of how race interacts with the in-session process of analysis. In other words, race on the couch for the individual patient. So you know what they did? They said, so we asked ourselves. I'm not making this up. The study authors said we didn't have enough data on this particular issue. And then instead of being good little social scientists and saying, and therefore we can't speak to it, and it's a limitation of the paper, they said we asked the commission members themselves. Okay, so we set up a study to ask people's mere subjective opinions on things we take to be true in an undisputed way. Some of those people said yes, not even in, an, in, in a convincing way, uh, statistically. And then where we couldn't even do that, then we asked ourselves, and surprise, surprise, we agree with ourselves. Folks, I'm not kidding. This is happening in American academics. And what was one of their strident recommendations based on this paltry study? A race czar. They wouldn't call it a czar. They call it an ombudsman. An official ombudsman at every one of the 38 allied institutions around America that form APSA who would be involved in every single decision regarding a BIPOC person, a non-white person, at every level of the institution, and who would be in charge of settling and resolving allegations and disputes of racism. Okay, so I said once seeing this, this is really out of bounds. This has gotten so, so far out of league that someone has to say something. My governing body is composed of a lot of very good people, and I've benefited tremendously by knowing many of them. And yet, they're very meager. So someone like me on the outside had to stand up and say something. Well, we have a professional listserv, and I'm going to read to you the open letter that I sent to my listserv, which ignited a veritable firestorm. Here goes. I would like to weigh in here on the issue of the Holmes report and the ideas that have followed in its wake. I realize that many of you will not be receptive to what I have to say, but on the chance that there are still those inclined towards the use of empiricism at the organizational level, here goes. My greatest concern for modern society is that there is a growing tendency for individuals and groups to stand firmly on inner convictions in the absence of robust external evidence. This problem is at the core of many evolving social and political issues plaguing America and the Western world at present. It should be stated that racial discrimination is illegal in the U.S., and so if there is compelling evidence that race is actually used to exclude or administratively discriminate, the Department of Justice would need that data in order to proceed with a civil rights case. They would require well-documented evidence, and if such evidence existed, I and many others would aid in the facilitation of correcting an identifiable discriminatory practice at the organizational level. However, I would think that any group of scholars who endeavored to characterize their professional organization 
as an extension of, quote, white supremacy, unquote, a term found 151 times in the Holmes report, would come to that conclusion only after rock-solid data had led them to such a claim. The Holmes report is no such document. It lacks serious research methodology. The paper reads more like a religious tome. Its very opening statements of the problems are circular and include many non-sequiturs, and the outcomes are based merely on subjective reports. There is no actuarial evidence to support any of the few trends found in the subjective reports. There is not even a proper methods or results section. Have any of you ever read a legitimate empirical social sciences study that did not bother to include a proper methods or results section? Would you take seriously one that does not? It is not even clear that the data sets include normal distributions, if there are even analyses of between-group differences versus what appear to be simple percentage comparisons, or if they were truncated and on what basis, what the specific analyses were and whether they were appropriate for the data. Readers are left to guess what the mixed methods design was composed of, which renders my aforementioned statistical questions shots in the dark. Some may rejoinder that the subjective experience of respondents should be taken on its own as valid. My answer to that position is that when the Holmes Commission included an attempt at quantitative methods, they were then obligated as social scientists to proceed along a valid design. They unfortunately did no such thing. The paper is internally inconsistent and riddled with content validity problems. Items have no evidence of content validity surveys establishing their credibility or cohesion. Conclusions are reached conveniently and spuriously. What I am stating here is only a snapshot of the methods problems of the report. There are literally too many problems to include here. For example, when people of color report perceptions of problems, that is apparently to be taken as a veridical representation of an actual problem in the external world around the subject, i.e. in APSA as an organization. But for white people, quote, especially concerning was that white candidates and faculty underestimated the degree to which critical racial incidents contributed to candidates' decision to leave training, unquote. So, the subjective experience of one race is oddly to be taken as an objective representation of the external world, and the subjective experiences of another race are clearly seen as a defensive denial of reality, or at least a problem or distortion by way of being an underestimation. I guess this is the point of the social breakdown following 2020, where it was claimed that certain races have other ways of knowing. I don't know if there are any of you out there who will join me in observing a historical fact claiming that races are epistemically distinct, in other words, have different internal parts and perceptual processes that align with their external appearance, has been tried before in human history, and the results have been catastrophic. It is an utter, stark, and for me very sad irony that the same process is unfolding yet again in Western civilization, and apparently in APSA. An example of such a quandary one item asks, did you ever have a discriminatory experience with your advisor, supervisor, or instructor? 
It is supposed to be taken as statistically significant in terms of differences in percentages that 22% of white candidates and 37% of BIPOC candidates indicated yes. Moreover, quote, one respondent observed having only unintentionally racist white supervisors evaluating candidates of color who struggle at the very least to talk about anything related to race. Okay, for the purposes of the study's internal validity and reliability, why would we assume that any person is able to perceptually discern whether an interaction with a supervisor or anyone is a discriminatory experience or unintentionally racist? These are unbelievably complex terms in the item design and would be nearly impossible to measure properly. A robust attempt to measure these items would include an incredibly complex and controlled experimental design, so they don't bother with content validity or measurement. Why do they not also assess covariating factors and mediating variables at the level of the individual response, such as the perceptual processes of the perceivers? In other words, if unconscious bias assessments though lacking validity in terms of measurement tools, are good for the goose, are they not also good for the gander? This is a serious problem in this study and others like it. It would seem to me that if a study wanted to rule these factors out in order to provide a compelling series of conclusions, rather than untested and hence relatively unfounded claims, they would have been included. Again, the Holmes report makes major claims and major assertions it really needed to include major design integrity to accomplish those outcomes. As far as the idea of having an ombudsman for race-related issues in APSA, such a notion could only be entertained after a problem had been identified empirically in more valid ways than has been done here. Some have said that an ombudsman would merely be someone who facilitates dialogue. Let me present the idea, I should say the definition, of an ombudsman. A person who investigates reports on, and helps settle complaints. If anyone is merely advocating for some sort of sensitive person who listens and engages in dialogue, those people are called psychoanalysts, by the way, why would this person need to be imbued with the official authority of an ombudsman? In our society, the general idea of having an anti-racist, quote-unquote, administrative body comes directly from Ibram Kendi's proposal to have an anti-racist governing agency and an actual amendment to the U.S. Constitution, where that agency oversees all other branches of government. It is worth reading his short statement in the following link, which I provided, to see the basic ideology and its actual aims. It is quite striking, to say the least. Again, this has been tried before in human history. I hope it is not tried again in APSA. There are better ways of moving toward a more just society where diverse voices are heard and respected than what has been promoted in the Holmes Commission report and elsewhere in the social justice warrior world. As an example, it is well known in the organizational management of both the technical and academic realms that incentive initiatives are much more effective and productive than oversight in terms of producing innovation. I hope that we, as a field, maintain our fidelity to a wonderful and yet apparently vulnerable psychoanalytic tradition. May what I have offered here be a contribution in some way. Okay, so that was my statement 
that I released to my professional listserv, and you can imagine the fallout. However, there were some interesting things that developed in the fallout. A few people, of course, the usual suspects, came out and called me a number of things, including racist and blah, blah, blah. One person said I was not interested in empiricism, but imperialism. Oh, that really stuck deep. And um, however, I received so much private support, people exclaiming with gratitude and relief that finally someone was taking on this nonsense. And what was the other thing that happened, which I'd like your feedback on if you're willing to provide it, I had been asked by um, a fair amount of analysts to run for president of the American Psychoanalytic Association. I'm not inclined to do this. I don't know if it's the best way for me to spend a good portion of my 40s. I, I'm not sure I want to jump into something that would obviously be maximally contentious. And so uh, I don't know if APSA is just going to split and that's what needs to happen. Or if I actually could do some good. That's my question. And then secondarily, do I want to do this? Um, I'm figuring this out now. I've consulted with a private group of analysts, and I'm going to consult with another party this coming Friday and, and see what people's ideas are for my candidacy. I would have to declare myself very soon because the elections are in January, and we'll see what happens. But that's what I've been up to, folks. And um, as brazen as I can be, as outspoken as I can be, I must say, I, I think I felt demoralized after this a bit. I felt emboldened and glad that I said something. But every time you do something like this, it takes a little piece out of you. And, um, you know, the jabs, the ugliness, the, the, the vitriol, the poison, frankly, that comes back at you. Um, while I would like to consider myself immune to it, and I'm more immune than most at this point, it still does something. You know, as Freud said, no one engages in this work without coming out un with coming out unscathed. In other words, you come out uh, affected by it. So given that as a pilot study, perhaps, and I would, I would be heading a 50-person board. That's right, 50 people on the board of APSA. Uh, some of whom would be uh, in this radical corner who oppose me. Do I really want to spend the next block of years of my life engaging in that kind of nonsense? I'm not sure I do, but I potentially could do some good. So what would you do? Uh, any of you listening, if you'd like to comment on realclearpodcast.com, if you were basically the only person left standing willing to speak reasonably out loud, which it seems that I kind of am, a few others spoke up uh, in support of me on the listserv, and then everyone else was private. Would you go ahead and, and attempt this? Because here's my main concern. I think that a lot of people who are being supportive of me and want me to run may, may be unaware that what they really want is for their gladiator to get in the ring and would not be unpleased that he gets bloodied and that they get to watch a fight. We're all animals. We all like that. And I don't want to be that gladiator unnecessarily. So anyways, that's what I've been up to. I have been recording interviews that are pretty interesting, and I'll be releasing them uh, throughout the next coming weeks. So stay tuned. I'm back, and I just took a little bit of a, a, little bit of a time off for, for engaging in this fight. And so 
I'll be coming to you more regularly again. Thanks for your patience. Be with you soon, folks.